Um, we have some space up here for those of you standing in the back of the stairwell. Nobody wants to sit in the front row because I'll call on you and ask you questions. So, um, but you're welcome to right down here. Oh, Emily, well, she's been sitting down front row forever. So good, 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 good. Um, well, we're glad you're here this morning. We're, uh, we're blessed to have everybody here and worship with us. I'm excited to be here. I, my mind's running a little foggy today. I, uh, my, my daughter, play, she's starting middle school on Tuesday, which I keep telling everybody, I don't really know what to do with that. Like, first of all, I'm not that old. Second of all, right, I remember middle school. I don't want to do that again. And so now I'm going to walk through it with a girl, which is, uh, ooh, so we are getting ready for that. But she plays soccer, and uh, this morning she had a game at 6.30 a.m. And so here we are, up at 5.30, and I'm sitting out there, and I'm thinking, I don't really know that I love my child this much. Like, I was trying to figure out if I really loved her enough to sit out there at 6.30 and watch soccer, of all things. So she is, uh, she's doing that, and they've got a big tournament this weekend. So as I was sitting there, I was kind of thinking through these things. I was thinking through the points of last week's message. So, you know, we may be kind of all over the road today, but uh, it should be good. Um, my concept for these couple of Sundays has really been built around an experience that I had at the end of June. And I sort of laid this out last week, so if you've, you've heard this, then um, you know, this will be a little bit familiar. But I was teaching at this middle school conference at the end of June, and it was about 500 middle school kids, and I was teaching and talking about the love of love Christ and how much God loves you and all these kind of things. And, and we were talking about that, and one of the evening sessions after I, I had spoken, uh, one of these little seventh grade middle school boys came up to me and asked if he could visit with me. And we just started talking, and we were standing in the hallway of this big kind of arena or whatever, auditorium, and we were talking, and he began to talk, tell me basically this. He said, you know, I feel like the whole world is against me. And as I started listening to his kind of thought process unfold, um, I was kind of struck by his honesty because the things that he was saying, well, they, they weren't earth-shattering things, but they were earth-shattering to him. And I was struck by kind of the honesty by which he was sort of expressing the, the fact that he just felt like everything in the world, from his home life to his school life to his friend life, they were lining up against him, and it was like one awful thing after another. And I was sort of struck by the fact that, you know, I really live in that same place sometimes, that sometimes I feel like the universe, if you will, the powers of the universe just sort of lay me out through a season or through a week or through a day where it just seems like I, I wake up and I just go, could anything else possibly go wrong? But as he and I, this, this kid and I started talking about those things, what I began to realize was that the core of his sort of question was something, or his core of his feelings was something much bigger. And it was really this, does God really love me? So here he is dealing with all these little struggles that were big for him, and they were lining up against him, and the question really was, does God love me? I hear you standing up there telling me that God loves me, reading to me that God loves me, but, but I don't really see that played out in my life. And so we talked about that for quite a bit, and I started really thinking about that question as well, because it's not an absurd question. It's really not. I mean, we never say it out loud because none of us actually want to let those words come out of our mouth because we think it will be a lack of faith or the people around us never struggle with that thought. But, but really, truly, if we check the heart of hearts, we ask ourselves that question. Here's why. Because we know what's happening in our lives. We know the things that we think. We know the things that we do. We know the things that no one else will ever know. We know the thoughts that cross through our minds. And we know that God knows them. And sometimes that kind of part of our life comes out where we just go, God, can you really love this? I mean, really, this sort of mess with all these things lining up and going wrong, and I know who I really am, and I know my doubts and my fears, and I know the struggles I'm having, whether they're maritally or financially or relationally or whatever they are, I know them, you know them, I know how I think. God, I, I don't know. I just don't know. And I started thinking about that question. I started thinking, man, that's a, 
something that I let penetrate my heart sometimes. And I've been studying the book of, of Romans over the past kind of really four or five weeks, and really chapter seven and eight, and I, I really don't know why, just sort of the Lord has kind of led me there. And as I thought about this question, this does God love me question, I was really struck by what Paul is doing in these letters. And I was also kind of brought up or kind of thought through the sec- a second question that I thought was equally as important and really partnered with that one. And so we talked about that first question, does God really love me last week? And we sort of explored through the first part of the middle part of Romans 8, the sort of deep expression. And not that sort of like, oh yes, God loves me because he's loved, but that sort of deep expression of love that was paid out through the, the redemptive plan of Christ on the cross and God's deep love for us through the giving and the sacrifice of his own son. We talked about those things. And I'm about caught up in July, and I'll have that on the website on Monday. So if you want to listen to it, we won't recap it. But it's, that's what we did last week. The second question is equally as important, I think, comes on the heels of that. And that is, if God really loves me, Trevor, like if you, you say that and I read that and I hear Paul's words and I see those expressions, and if God really deeply loves me, is there a point in time where God will ever stop loving me? Now, frankly, our quick answer is no, right? Like we know the answer should be no. And that's, we all think that. But like that first question, I think it's very valid and I think it's very real because we continue to live in the same kind of messed up lives as we always do. Paul himself, as I told you last week, frames it this way, right? Paul actually says in verse 7, or in chapter 7, the end of chapter 7, he says, so I find this at work in me. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work at the members of my body, waging war against me and my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? What Paul's saying is, I know me. I know that even when I want to do the right thing, somehow I find myself in the middle of this war waged with sin with inside of me. Sin that's inside of me. And I I choose the mess more than I choose God. And he's going, who is going to rescue me from this body of death? I am a wretched person. Now, that may not resonate with you, but it resonates with me. Because right there, when I say, God, I know what you have for me, I know what you're calling me to, I know what you want me to believe, and I choose all these other things that are safeguarded around me, and I'm a wretched person, right? So as I let my mind think, I begin to think, well, God, is there a point in time where you'll just go, you know what, Trev, I'm done, like, I've, I've led you down this road, I keep showing you these things, and you keep choosing yourself, and you keep choosing sin, you keep doing all these things, I'm, I'm done. Is there a point in time where God will ever stop loving me? Now, we know the answer is no, and we know it should be no, but, but really, in the deep recesses of my soul, am I so sure uh, that all these things that sort of stack up against me, and all the ways that, that things keep going wrong, is that not just God saying, look, I'm done? That's how our worldly relationships work. So sometimes that echoes into our eternal ones as well. So today what we're going to do is we're going to unpack the last part of Romans 8, and we're going to explore that question. I don't want you to write that question off. I want you to really hang on to it, because I want to give you, and I think what Paul's going to give us, is I want you to walk out of here with a deep confidence that not only does God really love me, but that there is nothing I can do that will ever stop God from loving me. And I can stand in perfect and total confidence. So if you've got your Bible, what I want you to do is open up to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be right in the middle of it. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, and I mentioned this last week, that you can't just jump into the middle of Romans 8 and pick out some things that you like, 
All right, we have to read Scripture in context. When we understand and teach through Scripture, we have to do it in context. Romans 8 is a really important chapter in this book, and actually Paul kind of poses four questions in verses 31 through 35 that are rhetorical, but they're meant to summarize his major points all through the entirety of those first seven full chapters. And Paul has just gotten kind of finished or wrapped up talking about his own sinfulness, the, own sinful, or the sinful state of humanity, Jesus' redemptive plan in his work, and the fact that a God's sovereign and perfect will draws people unto himself when they are unable to do anything. And so Paul's kind of explained all this, and we're going to look in the middle of it. But my challenge is, because I don't have time to explain it all, is take a time this week and just read it. You know, I mean... You need to be spending time in the Word anyway. You need to be opening your Bible during the week. If the only time you're opening your, side tangent, if the only time you're opening your Bible, right, is here, you're missing this sort of wealth and depth that God has for you. And not just to show you about Him, but to introduce Himself to you. So open God's Word during the week, okay? Every day, try and find some time to spend with the Lord. Um, so read chap, Romans chapter 8. Okay, side tangent closed. Okay, so Romans chapter 8. And Paul is sort of painting this picture of a much deeper process at play. And we're kind of picking up right there. And he's writing to these Roman Christians that are facing very real and very specific struggles. They were living in the middle of a world of deep persecution. We're going to talk about this in a minute. And persecution was real, and it was almost an inevitability. I mean, they were going to face it at the hands of the Roman Emperor Nero, and the chances were that one of these, if not all of these Christian believers that were living in this Roman kind of setting were going to lose their life. That's just the reality that the early church lived in, especially those living in Rome. And they needed deep assurance that God was yet for them, that he loved them, and that he would never stop loving them. Because in the face of the struggles and sufferings they they were dealing with, it was very easy to go to that place of saying, God, where are you? So that's kind of what's unfolding and what's happening. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open to Romans chapter 8. And before we kind of dive in there, um, let's take a moment. Let's just uh, pray together. Lord, I know that that's a lot to get us to that one simple question, and that is... God, will you ever stop loving me? Um, But Lord, I think that that your word has something really powerful to say about this. And this message really may be only for me. Um, It just seems like I continue to just only teach out of what you're teaching my heart. And so God, I pray that as we sit here, um, Lord, what you'll do is just meet each one of these folks, wherever they are, whatever they're dealing with, whatever their struggle is, whatever their, their joy is, whatever place they are, whether it's living in the middle of great excitement or living in the middle of great mediocrity, whether they have deep sadness or sorrow, whether they have things going on that they haven't kind of even allowed themselves to mutter out loud. Lord, I pray that right there in the stillness of their heart, you would just meet them. So Lord, as we open your word, I pray that you would teach us. Lord, you are the teacher. Nothing I can say will do anything. And so God, I pray that you teach and that you open and you reveal and you equip. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask God to to reveal uh, himself to you this morning. Just ask God to to reveal who he is to you. Pray for someone beside you, uh, behind you, in front of you, just around you, even if you don't know their name. Just pray that God would, um, that he would move in them. Lord, we we turn this entire morning over to you. It, It is yours. This is your word, and I pray that you would uh, move in our hearts, stirring our hearts. Um, We ask this in Jesus' perfect and holy and risen name. Amen. 
So I'm going to read Romans 8, starting in verse 31, because I want you to hear the verses where we were last week, because they kind of attach to that. But we're going to pay specific attention to 35 through 39. So if you've got a Bible or one's right there in front of you, um, pull it up. And we're going to start at verse 31. And, and this is kind of what Paul is explaining, when, and we're going to look at it as it relates to those two questions. So what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whose God, whom God has chosen? Is it, it is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that was raised to life at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. This is where we'll be today. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Paul is addressing, as I mentioned, something very specific that the Romans are facing. These Roman Christians are facing very real um, and inevitable persecution. They are living every day knowing that this will be the day that they could possibly lose their life for the sake of Christ. And in the middle of that kind of suffering, in the middle of those kind of struggles, in the middle of those kind of things, they are in desperate need of reassurance that God is for them, that he loves them, and that he is never going to stop loving them. And that's really what Paul's doing. He spent the majority of his letter really in a deep theological way unpacking the truth of God's love as expressed through the redemption of lives through Jesus Christ. And he's summarizing those things up in the face of a very real and difficult struggle they were facing. Now, when we look at that question, will God ever stop loving me? I mentioned that most of us will answer very quickly. Well, I know the answer is no. I mean, I, I've read the Bible enough, or I've heard Treb talk enough, or I've been to enough churches to know that, you know, there's nothing I can ever do, right, to, to stop God from loving me. And I, but I really believe one of the disconnects in our Christian life is the ability to hear something and know it, and the ability to let it penetrate our hearts. I can very much know about grace, but never really live in God's grace for me. I can very much know that God lo loves me and never live in the confidence of God's love. And what Paul is trying to do is help you live and help you and I live in this sort of confidence of God's eternal love. So that question, will God ever stop loving me? How do we get to a place where we begin to wonder? I don't know about you, but, but for me, it's, it's one of a couple of things. When suffering and struggle and hardships happen, whether they're big or small, whether they are the, the weight of the universe, like that seventh grader was feeling, uh, stacking up against us, or whether they're just a series of successive things that happen that just kind of bog me down, whether they're, they're marital or financially or relational, whatever they are, when struggles and hurts and those hardships happen, I usually end up in one of two places, and this is just me putting myself out there. I usually end up in the place of saying, is God punishing me, right? So have I done something wrong? Or have I not been obedient enough? And is the reason I'm suffering because God is trying to correct me or teaching? And that's not an absurd thought. I mean, a lot of times we don't want to believe that God moves in that way. But God does everything for his glory and for his good. All right, so listen. Is God punishing me? Right? Have I done something wrong? Is that why I'm facing all these things? Is that why all these things continue to happen? It's a valid question, but our minds tend to go there. My mind also tends to go, has God forgotten me? 
Now, I never like to say this one out loud, but I, every once in a while I allow it to creep into my soul, which is, how come I keep facing these things over and over again? How come things keep going wrong? Or how come I'm living in the middle of struggle or temptation or whatever it is? How come I'm living in the middle of that? And everywhere I turn, God, you seem not to be there. It just seems like there's a void. And every time I feel like I've got a handle on life or something else just sort of unfolds right before me. And it's not a constant of my life, but it's those patterns. And I end up in those places saying, God, are are, are you mad at me? Are you punishing me? Have you forgotten about me? And when you couple those two things together, it leads us to the place where we just say, God, have you forgotten? Or have you given up on me? Or have you just stopped loving me? Because sometimes we equate God's love with God's blessing. So when things are going great, it's easy to say, man, God is for me, and he loves me, and I see it. And every time I'm blessed, I just, but when things are in the middle of difficulty and suffering, my my mind goes to those things and quickly to, God, do you really love me? Now, it's easy to see, I think, if we're honest, how we get there. And Paul paints a very specific picture. He paints a very specific picture. He says, what should separate us, or who shall separate us from this love, right? So is is it these hardships, these things? He says, is it uh, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? He goes, will any of these things separate us? And if you think about that list for a minute, it sort of encompasses everything. Trouble or hardship. Whatever you're dealing with, I promise you it falls into one of those categories. Trouble or hardship. Famine, nakedness, material wants, things like that. Financial struggles. Persecution, right? Danger, sword. These are very real realities. And he's saying that whatever we are facing, the first thing I want you to understand is that no suffering, whether emotional or physical, does or will ever separate you from God's love. Now, sometimes we think that suffering means that God somehow has removed his love and or blessing from us. But the first thing that we see played out here in Paul's letter is that physical suffering or emotional suffering does not and will not ever separate us from love, God's love. And you know why that is? It's because God's love is contingent on God and not contingent on us. What Paul's kind of laying out here and what he laid out in the first part of Romans 8 is that if all this depended on our love for God, that in the middle of my struggle, in the middle of my hurt, in the middle of my circumstance, that I had to love God well in the middle of that in order for God to return love to me. So God, I have to love you through perseverance. I've got to love you well through difficulty. I can't let those questions pierce my mind. And if I love you well, you're pleased with me and you love me in return. That's not what Paul's saying at all. In fact, that's a complete travesty when it comes to good biblical theology. The reality is, is that we will never be able to love God well. Never. But God loves us perfectly well. And we learned that last week through this expression, this giving of his son. Right? His love is not contingent on any circumstance. No circumstance separates us from God's love. God's love is beyond all circumstances. And I love the way Paul writes because Paul writes from deep experience. And I think a lot of times we go to churches or we come to to this church or whatever church you go to sometimes. and, And we get up there and we think that there's sort of this overly optimistic kind of non-authentic preacher pastor is telling me that I just need to smile and be happy because Jesus loves me. But the reality is is that if I do that, it negates the deep hurt that most likely you've experienced or experiencing. And that pain is real. I've walked through it. Paul doesn't write from that sort of overly optimistic kind of, hey, put a smile on your face because it could be worse. Yeah, it could be worse, but it's not. It's awful right now because the chances of me being persecuted, these are Romans, is very real. And Paul writes from this sort of deep realistic experience. Listen to how he carves it out in, in 2 Corinthians, the things that Paul has walked through. He says, five times 
I've received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one, 40 lashes with a death sentence. So 39 is just one short of a death sentence. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day at open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, bandits, dangers from my own countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the country, dangers at sea, and dangers of false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger. I've known thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold. I've been left naked. Besides all that, I face a daily pressure and concern for all of you and all the churches. If I were Paul, I would be like, God, where are you? Do you hate me? I mean, really? I've given my whole life to you. You called me out of the Damascus Road and you knocked me down. I gave you everything. And I've been shipwrecked and broken and bit by snakes. I've been abandoned. I've been beaten. I've been abused. I've been hungry. I've been thirsty. All those things. God, where are you? Because so often we kind of equate this sort of, if I'm suffering, somehow God is not present. But when we went through the book of Philippians in here, we talked about how suffering is also a blessing from the Lord. But I love the way that Paul writes. Because Paul's not writing saying, hey, look, smile, life's going to be all right. He's going, look, suffering's real. But you know what? None of that separates you from God's love. So when you think about what Paul's walked through, and you listen to those words, right? You listen to those, those words that he says. When he says, what can separate us or who can separate us from God's love, right? Can any of those things, um, whether it's hardship or persecution or trouble or famine or nakedness or danger, nothing can separate you from God's love. In fact, God's love is the only real constant. Okay, so suffering, physical or emotional, right? Either one of those, physical or emotional, will not, all right, and does not separate us from God's love. So we've got to start there. Okay, that's the first thing I want you to understand. It doesn't separate us. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He actually takes it one step further. And he kind of continues that thought. He says, as it's written, all right, for, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So... Paul takes that thought and says, not only does physical and emotional suffering not separate you from God's love, but you, right, were created to do more than just simply survive. Now, this is a pretty radical concept, and I want you to kind of hang with me for a minute. Because most of us, if I were to ask you, tell me about the most difficult times in your life and what role God played. So think about your life and maybe the most difficult time and maybe you can trace back to a real struggle. I mean, I can find several things in my life that I look back on that were like, horrifically awful or deep struggles or just whatever. And most of us would say it was God who helped me survive or make it through or pull through those difficult times. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with that statement, what I think Paul is saying is, um, actually, there's something so much more at play. It's not just that God helped you simply survive. It's that in the middle of those things, in the middle of those struggles, you are more than conquerors. Now, this is a huge thing, because not only is he saying, does God pull you through, but he's saying that in the middle of that struggle, God has crowned you and made you more than conquerors through him, through Christ, and his love. Now, I don't know about you, but when I walk through suffering, when I walk through hurt, when I walk through struggle, even on the other side, sometimes I very rarely see that as as, as sort of a, a moment of being more than a conqueror. Sometimes we think we just simply survive by the skin of our teeth, but the truth is, that every moment of suffering, every struggle, every struggle, every trial, every one of those things is an instrument, an instrument for God to use you as a display for his incredible grace, right? 
So in those moments, we become more than conquerors because we have been moved through and lifted through the love of Christ to elevate over and through these sufferings that we walk through. They don't own us, right? It's not the trials that sort of refine us. Sometimes we think that, hey, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, right? The reality is a trial has nothing to do with it. It's what God does through it in you and how God says you have been given great victory. So here are these Romans hearing what they're about to face. And Paul says, look, not only, right, not only does God's love not disappear in the middle of these things, but he's made you more than conquerors because he loves you that much. Now, I'd be deeply kind of amiss if I didn't tell you what really is at the heartbeat of this passage, all right? And, and it, the, the really what's at the heartbeat of this passage is this idea of persecution. So there's a quote in there from Psalm 22, verse 44, and it says, For your sake we face death all day long. We're considered sheep to be slaughtered. That, that psalm has a very specific purpose. See, persecution is very real. And a lot of times we think it's just very real 2,000 years ago. But the reality is persecution is very real today. It's very real across the globe. Um, in the 20th century, more people lost their lives for the belief in Jesus Christ than all other 19 centuries before that combined. Two-thirds of the world faces daily opposition and persecution for their belief in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Most of us that live in a Western culture won't face that sort of deep physical suffering and persecution, but maybe you face it in the workplace, maybe you face it in home, maybe whatever. Persecution is very real. And Paul's making a very specific point where he says, look, it's not probable that you're going to face persecution. It's almost inevitable. All right? And that verse saying, for his sake, we are like sheep that are being led to the slaughter. The reality is, is that when we claim to follow Christ, life does not get easier. All right? Life actually becomes more of a struggle, and I'll explain why in a moment. But it does. And the reality is, as followers of Christ, we have to understand that sometimes suffering is the plight of God's people. It just is. All through Scripture, trace it. God's people are always suffering, not just aimlessly, but for God. It's just the reality. And as followers of Christ, most of us, I would venture to say, have not come to grips with the idea that I need to be at a place where I'm willing to obediently lay my own life down for the cause of Christ. Because we don't face that every day. But those of us that have been to other places or been to other countries or spent time with Christians in Africa or in the Muslim world or even in China and places like that have met people who are willing and have come to a place where they have or will lay their life down. Now maybe you've come to that place or maybe you've never even let that thought cross your mind, but that's kind of what Paul's laying into. That is believers, like the saints that went before us. We've got to be at a place where we say, God, you get all of me, even if that costs me everything. And then Paul says in the middle of that, we are more than conquerors. I think that most of us have believed the lie that if we can just make it through, that somehow that's the great victory in itself. That when struggles and difficulties and hardships happen, that if I can just hang on tightly enough to my faith and pull through the other side, then therein lies the victory. The truth is what Paul's saying is that's not the victory. The victory is that God, in his infinite and amazing love through Jesus Christ, has crowned you as more than conqueror, and you are on display as an instrument of his grace and glory. It means every struggle, every hardship, everything that you face is an opportunity for God to display his splendor through your life. And that's how God moves. Therefore, we become more than conquerors. Not only did I make it through it, but I am victorious in Christ. And yeah, it was painful. And it was hard, and that stress did not go away. 
But every moment was an opportunity for God to display his splendor and his glory. So we've got this picture that says suffering, physical or emotional, will not and, and never will, right, stop God from loving me, right? It will never separate me from God's love. And I was created to do more than simply survive, right? I was actually created to live in these moments as an instrument of God's grace and God's splendor because I have been called more than a conqueror because it's Christ's love, not my own, right? I'll never love God well enough, but through him. And then Paul wraps this whole thing up by kind of making this little third statement, which really is the answer to our question, will God ever stop loving me? And, and the answer is simply this, God will never stop loving you. Listen how Paul wraps this up. He says this, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors. Listen to verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor present, nor future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I can't explain to you how powerful these verses are and how, how real they are and how magnificent they are. Because if we really think about it, this is almost an unquenchable love that we will never know the end to. That neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor future, nor any powers, nor depth, nor any height, anything in all creation will separate us from love. And Paul says, I am convinced of that. What Paul's done in these verses, not just these end ones, but in the middle ones, is basically say, I want you to know the confidence, with deep confidence, that not only, right, do, do these things not separate you from God's love, but they will not stop God from loving you, and that you, in the middle of suffering and struggle and hurt and fear and failure and, and temptation, all those things have been granted the title more than conquer through Christ's love. That first list that we looked at, hardship, persecution, naked, famine, and struggle, they're all those sort of physical and emotional realities. But Paul takes it a turn, and he basically opens up that I, something that I think all believers should be aware of, that there's more than meets the eye in this world, that we face a very real spiritual battle that is wa waging around us. There's a very real spiritual war that is being waged over your soul and over this world, and Paul knows it. And he says, not even those things, those principalities, those kind of angels or demons or present or future or time or any of those things that exist beyond what I see, nothing, life or death, will separate you from God's love. Nothing will stop God from loving you. Now, the reason I find this really comforting to me is because I find Paul's sort of conviction about God's love um, moving. I live in a very waffling kind of mental, spiritual state. Sometimes I'm way over here, sometimes I'm way over here, and I go back and forth all the time. And I, I want to live with deep conviction. I want to say, God, look, the whole world can be going wrong, but I, I know one thing to be true, and that's you love me, and nothing will ever stop you from loving me. Even my own sin, my own struggle, my own failure, my own inadequacies, my own lack of obedience, even all the things that are created, whether time or space or temporal or spiritual or whatever, or famine or nakedness, or hurt, none of those things will ever stop you from loving me. What I find incredible about Paul's words is in the middle of perhaps the deepest and most difficult struggle that any of us would ever have to walk through, the things that he walked through, he said, my confidence is that even though I walk through these things, God's never stopped loving me. I don't know what you're dealing with. I really don't. I mean, maybe it's something great. Maybe it's just something small. Maybe just, you know, living with distraction. Maybe you're just living in the middle of mediocrity. But I want you to understand these two things in deep principle and deep confidence, okay? Hear me. Yes, God really does love you beyond imagination, as demonstrated through the giving of his own son, as we talked about last week. 
It's not the little, neat little Sunday school God is loving, so he has to. God loves you because it's in his nature and because he gave everything for you deeply. And God will never stop loving you. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you're doing, what you're engaged in, what you did last night, this weekend, what you thought, what you're thinking even now. Whether those things are created, whether they exist in time and space, whether they're life or death, nothing will stop God from loving you. As followers of Christ, we're called to live in confidence. Confidence. It says, God, I know you love me, even though I can't express and explain it. And God, I know you will never stop loving me, even though I know I deserve, deserve it. That is what's remarkable about the Christian experience, is that we can do nothing to earn God's love. And everything we do should push God's love away from us. But instead, God does what we can't do through Christ, loves us more than we could ever imagine. And then in the moments of great struggle, when we think God is the farthest, God is actually ever-present. And God will never stop loving you. Let's pray.